0: DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents The Way of Mystery, The Eucharist in Moral Living, with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation, located at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. He's the author of numerous books, including Remain in Me, Holy Orders, Prayer and Ministry, Spousal Prayer, and The Heart of the Diaconate. Deacon Keating has led more than 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality, and regularly conducts retreats and parish missions. The Way of Mystery, the Eucharist, and Moral Living with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The Eucharist is that entire celebration that we enter into, and it has a beginning, As Catholics, that beginning, we understand as the introductory rites of the church. It's not just us standing up and singing, but it's so much more than that, isn't it?
1: So much of it is uh, the transition that we need to make. Like when you come into a room, you are aware of many things in a room, and it may even take you some moments to be aware of the persons in the room, and you have to make some type of internal shift. Where you are totally focused on the, on the human being that you're present with, there may be distracting elements in the furniture or the decor, and the human being that that you're in the presence of may not actually come into focus. The introductory rites help Christ come into focus. We all just you know trudged in from the parking lot. Maybe we have lots of things to do after mass. Maybe we just had terrible things happen to us before mass, and so the church, in its wisdom, says we need a transitional or an introductory type of experience, so that people can begin to see Christ come into focus. This is a different event. This is a different mode of reality in my day. I am turning toward God the Father. I am adoring. I am praising God. I need this chance to make a transition. It's usually done by song, or it's done by some type of procession, but there is the need for a transition.
0: There is also that moment in that introductory rite where we are preparing ourselves and taking an examination of our conscience and what are we bringing to the table that day.
1: Once we are in this mode of uh, of transition and we realize or it's coming to our realization that I am in the holy building, I am in a church building, uh, there's sacred music or there's sacred symbols around me. There are brothers and sisters that have gathered to my left and to my right then the Church asks us to go even deeper, not just to be aware that we are going to worship God, but to be aware of our state before God. And and this is usually uh, called the penitential rite, and it has various modes to it. But the end of of the whole penitential rite is for us to be aware of Christ's mercy, and for us to be aware that Christ wants to give his mercy, and most importantly, to be aware that we need his mercy. So in the penitential rite, there needs to be some sense of an appropriation of our sins, that we don't just have a general awareness, but that some of our sins may actually come to mind. And this, of course, depends on the, the priest who's presiding. There should be some elongated silence here, not disproportionately uh, lengthy, but enough for us to gather our thoughts and to be able to say, I am envious, or I'm slothful, or I struggled with anger this week. A real uh, intentional naming of our sins so that we can offer that up to Christ's mercy and receive that mercy. Uh, So we become aware of the sacred surrounding. As we become aware of the sacred surrounding, we become aware of our position and our relationship to the sacred. And the church gives us the penitential rite. And we should welcome this awareness. Um, It's good to know that there is the holy and that we have no right to the holy. Uh, God is all holy. We are not. And if we're ever going to have deep communion with God, we need to pass through this purifying moment where I say, Lord, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to have communion with you, but I know your nature. And I receive your nature as love, and I am grateful to you, and I praise you for the love that you have given me, and for your desire to cure me, to heal me. I know I have no right to participate in the holy, but you, for some mysterious reason, want to share the holy with me. You want to share it with the entire community. And so we receive your desire to love us, and we ask for forgiveness of the sins that would block that love. This is a crucially important moment of the Mass. Now, pragmatically, what happens a lot of times is we just think it's uh, a rote prayer, and after this Mass, soon we'll get to sit down and listen to the readings. We need to stand in our sin a little longer. We need to stand there, and we need to, to enter more deeply into this awareness that we have no right to be there. We have no right to participate in holiness, and yet holiness has come to call us.
0: Then we are given a great gift, and it's the Liturgy of the Word. It's really an opportunity to enter into that entirety of salvation history, that whole living part of the Paschal Mystery, isn't the life of the community of believers.
1: All of salvation history is open to us in the Liturgy of the Word, and we are bid by the Church to again prepare to receive that word by possibly looking at the readings throughout the week. This is a very simple act of devotion, but many Catholics find it incredibly difficult to be so disciplined as to take the readings of the week and to read them. Uh, But we want to keep it just that simple. I think that's the best advice that we could receive from the Church if we want to be taken up into the history of God coming close to us to heal us. The best way to do it is to just find on the internet or subscribe to some magazine like Magnificat or some other Mm -hmm. and have the readings before you each week and to meditate on them. Then when they're proclaimed from the Ambo, they're familiar to us. We don't hear them as, as new. We hear them as resounding in our hearts. We recognize the truth in the words words that we have already pondered throughout the week, themes and realities that we have already received on a personal level, so that Christ could enter and, and heal us at a deeper level. And so a lot of times when we come in cold to the Mass and the first reading is done and we start the psalm, a lot of times we might say, well, what was that first reading about? And I, I don't even remember what, what the theme was. But if they have resounded in our hearts for a week, we won't lose them that quickly. And we want to reverence God in that way, that God wants to give us the readings which proclaim his heart, and we want to take his heart, and we want to receive it in our own, and we want to do honor to God. So find a simple way, and um, again, this is the best way, just to have the liturgy of the Word uh, as your spiritual food for the whole week before the Mass. And then the next week, you move to the next Sunday readings. If we try that, then I think it will become habitual. And again, if you miss a week or or so, you don't beat yourself up. You just hunger again to live in that Word, and you gently return to the habit or the custom of looking at the readings for the week.
0: Now, as a deacon and a minister of the Word, I'm going to pose to you a question that I, I think we all, as faithful, have to ask ourselves. The difference between the demands we make of the homily to help break that open for us and the expectation that we should have concerning the homily.
1: All the men who preach uh, bring you know, different gifts, and the church ordains men with, uh, with certain strengths and certain weaknesses. And obviously we know whether one's a deacon or one's a priest that uh, certain priests or deacons have the gift of of preaching. Those same deacons and priests who may preach very well, they might not be very good as counselors, or they might not have much energy in terms of outreach to those in need, or not to excuse people. These are areas that we have to develop and work on. If you're excellent in the counseling room, or you're excellent working in the the bread line, or the food uh, kitchens around uh, the cities. You're also called to beef up whatever skills and competencies you might have in the AMBO. But with all that said, we cannot put too much uh, weight on missing the readings simply because there may be a preacher who's inept Mm -hmm. or boring or too long. Or, you know, what some people say, well, those, you know, he gave three good homilies today. Uh, There's lots of weaknesses. The word is coming to us And this is what's so beautiful about meditating on the Word before the Mass. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to stir in your heart what you need to remember. And the preacher will be able to point in a general way, but it's always the Holy Spirit who particularizes the Word of God for your own situation. No homilist can do that. No homilist can particularize it. People always say to the homilist, make it relevant, make it relevant, make it about our real lives. And there will be priests and deacons who are too ethereal, who are too um, theoretical, and they possibly should bring examples uh, into their preaching from real life, so to speak. But at the same time, you cannot ask the impossible of a man. It's only the Holy Spirit who particularizes the readings of the day for you. And it's our obligation to make ourselves available to hear the interior movements of the Holy Spirit by reading the readings of Sunday a week before or even showing up at Mass a few minutes earlier and sitting in the pew and opening up the missalette there and reading their readings before Mass begins. Even that movement of affection for the Word of God will stir the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit will then teach you and prompt you to make changes in those areas of your life that need changes. So yes, all homilists must be competent. All homilists must pray their way through their homilies so that as best they can, the Spirit is speaking through them. But no homilist can particularize your own burdens and the healing that's needed. That's where you have to listen at two levels. You have to listen to the word proclaimed and you have to listen to the interior movements of the Spirit. Those two coalescing together will give you the power of the liturgy of the Word.
0: Well, liturgy at its, at its root isn't the performance for the people. It is the work of the people, isn't it?
1: And that's where a lot of the activity needs to be uh, focused. People will say, well, the Mass is boring. It's the same every Sunday. Uh, actually, there are a lot of changes in the in the liturgy of the Eucharist. In terms of prayers, even in terms of music, in terms of even vesture, in terms of movement sometimes. So there are changes. But yes, the emphasis is the work of our interior work that we bring to the Eucharist. There are lots of times that Christ wants to get close to us in the Eucharist, but we haven't done the interior work to, make it, to enable that communion to happen. And by interior work, I mean prayer. By interior work, I mean simple movements of the heart. Lord, I want to attend your Mass today. Help me to receive its truth. Lord, I am afraid of all the things happening in my marriage. Give me wisdom from this Mass to know how to be present to my husband, to my children. Lord, I am afraid I am incompetent as a husband or as a worker or as a wife Give me the wisdom at this Mass to know how to become more competent in my roles and in my vocation. In the silence before the Mass, in the silence after the homily, in the silence after receiving communion, little interior prayers like that open up our entire soul to God. And of course, God desires to rush in. That's all God does. God gives God away. That's all God does. And the only way God is stopped from giving God away is by our crispated hearts, our hardened hearts, which will not smooth or soften his entry because we refuse to speak the truth to him. If we speak the truth to him in our hearts, we are doing the work of the liturgy. We cannot place it all upon the priest as an entertainer. He's not an entertainer. He is the one whom Christ has chosen to pray his Mass in. Without the priest, we have no access to the mystery of salvation. It's not entertainment. I was at a a mega church recently, and I think they seated 13,000 people. And their church basically was an auditorium. Mm -hmm. And their emphasis was on drama and music and acting and plays, which of course can break open the human heart in these emotions of very deep levels. But that's accidental. The emotion is accidental to the Mass. What's essential to the Mass is this availability in the depths and the core. The heart of our heart, as John of the Cross would say. We have to let Christ into the very heart of our heart, the very core of our heart. With these very simple prayers, don't expect... Too much entertainment from the Mass. Expect to be changed by the Mass. Don't expect the Mass to be lively in a sense of distracting. Like, oh, isn't this interesting? The Mass is not interesting to the affections. The Mass is the place where we are so open and so willing to be opened by Christ that he comes in through the bread, through the wine, transformed into his own body and blood, he comes into our hearts of hearts and utters the one word that we're all longing to hear. I love you. You are mine. I will never leave you. You are saved and you are healed. Now go and give this good news to others. And then we are sent by that same Lord who enters us, We are sent by him to enter the lives of others. The Mass is not entertainment. Don't put a lot of weight on that. The Mass is about God changing us. Do you want to be changed, or do you want to be entertained?
0: We'll return in just a moment to The Way of Mystery with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that you can obtain a free app, which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from inside the pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today.
2: Litany of Humility
0: O Jesus, meek and humble of heart,
2: hear me. From the desire of being esteemed,
0: Deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being loved.
0: Deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being extolled.
0: Deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being honored.
0: Deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being praised.
0: Deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being preferred to others.
0: Deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being consulted.
0: Deliver me, Jesus.
2: From the desire of being approved.
0: Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated,
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being despised,
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of suffering rebukes,
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being calumniated.
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being forgotten,
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being ridiculed,
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being wronged.
2: Deliver me, Jesus.
0: From the fear of being suspected.
2: Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I.
0: That others may be esteemed more than I.
2: That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease.
0: That others may be chosen and I set aside.
2: That others may be praised. And I unnoticed,
0: that others may be preferred to me in everything,
2: that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should.
0: Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it.
2: Amen.
0: We now return to The Way of Mystery with Deacon James Keating. There are many Catholics who have experienced the services of their Protestant brothers and sisters and came away saying, I really experienced fellowship. It's something I, I haven't experienced in the Catholic Church. And yet I find that a very sad statement because what you just talked about In our relationship with Christ and the experience of the Eucharist, that's true fellowship, isn't it?
1: The fruit of that communion or the fruit of that intimacy with Christ, if it is to be real, has to be expressed in communion with our brothers and sisters. Again, Teresa of Avila, right, her famous saying, as we noted before, I think that the only way to tell a true mystic, the only way to tell if someone has truly had this encounter that I'm speaking about, in our heart, is if that person is now a uh, one who is more charitable toward others. That's all. The fruit of the Mass is charity toward others. We have to admit that in our Catholic culture, we are missing something that so many Protestants experience to their great delight and to their great benefit. Many Protestant churches have not lost Sunday as a place of Christian community. They've established huge churches where their community goes and spends the entire morning, and some well into the afternoon, where food is provided, where entertainment for the children is provided, where they delight and they rest in, in one another's company as fellow Christians. It is to be admitted that in our Catholic parishes, to the great frustration of, of many Catholic leaders, that so many of our people, when the Mass is ended, they run from the campus of the church, and they go into very secular events or affairs and, and have no real fellowship with, with other Catholics. And this is a, a weakness. This is an anemia in our church. We have the strength of the priesthood. We have the strength of the real presence. We have the strength of the Mass itself, all the sacraments. But those sacraments are not to be celebrated and then sort of pushed aside The sacraments are to be internalized. And when they are internalized, Christ always pushes us out to our brothers and sisters next to us. He always says, now go have fellowship with them. In some parishes, this might be occurring. I'm not saying it's universal. But for those parishes that have a dearth of fellowship, we have to think again about how do we get Catholics to delight in the presence of one another as the fruit of receiving the Eucharist? Because only when we delight in the presence of one another will the fullness of the Eucharistic power come to be a scene in culture. Uh, We can only say to one another, well, you know, you're a doctor too, or you're a lawyer too, or you're a mechanic too. How do you instantiate the Mass? How do you make the Mass fulfilled in your work or in your home? If Catholics never talk at that level, and if we have no fellowship with each other, obviously there's no talking but if we never talk with each other at that level, then the Mass will remain impotent or it will remain, not remain, excuse me, it will, be, uh, it will become simply a private devotion. It cannot remain impotent, and it was never meant to be a private devotion. And if we have fellowship with each other out of the power of the Mass, then the fullness of the communal understanding of the Mass will come to pass And the transformation of culture will also come to pass that the Second Vatican Council hoped for. So whatever we can do, and I know architecturally we're trying to do this, change the way our churches are, gathering spaces, communal spaces, maybe more spaces for adult faith formation, maybe more and more useful spaces for fellowship, for meals together. Whatever we can do to stay, to remain with each other, not just for chit-chat, But to remain with each other and to then meditate and to share with one another about what we just received at the Mass will go a long way in making the Catholic presence and culture more articulate and more powerful. The Catholic Church has the sacraments. We were given the Word of God back with great energy and life at the Second Vatican Council. But we still have a lot to learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters on how to be a a true and authentic fellowship uh, as a result of what we have received in the Word and in the sacrament.
0: The real onus, isn't it, on the disciples? It's on us, the baptized, who have received Christ, to seek out that fellowship. I think sometimes we think it's the pastor's responsibility, well, he hasn't created a welcoming community, and yet we're the ones who would be doing the welcoming. Why aren't we taking the initiative?
1: We would be doing the welcoming and the pastor, to some extent, if we use the fatherhood symbol. Uh, when I see my children spontaneously speaking to one another, when they linger over the dinner table and I didn't make them do it, when they are uh, freely choosing to play with each other and speak with each other, as a father, I sit back or I, I stand in the corner of the room and I just, I just delight for a few moments in that. I say, look at how my children are enjoying one another. And I didn't really do much to do that. It it kind of happened because I created an environment, perhaps, where that could happen spontaneously. And I think the father of our parish, the pastor, has the same type of delight. He tries to create the environment where his children, the children of God, will want to stay with each other in an anticipation of heaven, in an anticipation of eternal fellowship. And he'll delight when they do. And so it's not his problem that we don't want to stay together. He's trying to create the environment. Our problem is that we think we have better things to do. We think we have more important things to do and perhaps even to be with more important people. And the simplicity of the saints tell us there is no more important thing to do and there is no more important place to be than to have your family in the midst of other families who believe that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior and is saving us right now at this Mass and in this parish. There's no more important place to be. This is what we have spoken about before when we said that there were other factions of our culture trying to give us our identity. Mm-hmm. And so the economic and the political, the uh, the cultural, the popular cultural, in a lot of ways, these The dispensers of our identity have won because many Catholics believe that there is a better place to go than the parish on Sunday morning, and there are better people to be with than those who also believe that Jesus is the Savior. And if there's work to be done, it's the work to change that type of consciousness that um, this parish is a great gift because it's the beginning of heaven for us. Despite its flaws and its faults, the individual annoyances of our fellow catholics these people that we are are beginning uh, to know now are the people that we will be with forever in christ in heaven so let's delight in one another's company let's help the priest in any way we can as he tries to facilitate our being fellows with one another and out of the mystery that we have just participated in the self-offering of christ upon the cross Let's enter that mystery together in conversation, in adult faith formation, in mutual private prayer together, spontaneous personal prayer, a showing up at the church during the week for perhaps a small group to pray before the Blessed Sacrament or enter into Bible study, which will all bear fruit in us responding to the needs of the poor.
0: Everything you have just said, I think I've experienced in such wonderfully positive ways. And I've been very blessed, especially in our particular Archdiocese of Omaha, because in some communities, we have had that ability to be able to share, to either gather for a donut in a social hall with other families, or to be able to gather to learn more about our religion and our faith. And in that sharing, it builds up because we're... We live in our neighborhoods now where we have our garage door openers and we go directly into our garage, into our house, and then we have our backyards with our privacy fences. We are so isolated that in many cases we don't even know the person across the street. If we did not have our faith-believing community, we would have no fellowship. We would have no opportunities to gather with like-minded people.
1: And I think, again, it's it's not a numbers game. There are uh, small groups that gather throughout the archdiocese and around the country in every parish. It's the, it really is, in the beginning, it's a desire for a quality of conversation about faith. Uh, I have seen in some parishes where they might have started a, a sharing session or adult faith formation with five or six people, and it's blossomed into a hundred. It may have taken a few years to get to a hundred people, to want to stay on the parish campus after Mass, to stay for substantive conversation. But begin small, uh, but begin. And don't lose heart if it takes years to build up a significant proportion of the parish who wants to linger around the mystery and share that mystery in conversation and friendship.
0: It ultimately helps us in our journey, doesn't it, towards that beatific vision we all are called to share.
1: And wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. So the more that we have fellow Catholics around us, the more heightened is our consciousness of Christ's own presence. He promised that when we were together in faith, he would be there. And so it certainly does help us. And remember, our goal is to respond to his invitation to holiness. And one of the key uh, uh, motivators to become a saint is to be around those who also love the idea of sanctity. And, and that would be our fellow Catholics. So it's going to be a great help for us to leave this passing world behind and to embrace the way of holiness if we keep company with those who have the same vision, the vision that has been gifted to them by Christ.
0: Thank you very much, Deacon Keating.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Way of Mystery the Eucharist, and Moral Living with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Way of Mystery, The Eucharist, and Moral Living with Deacon James Keating.